In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the earth was void and empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and that it was good. Those are the opening lines of the book of Genesis. And in today's readings, we hear this same theme repeated. That God has created a vineyard, and it is good. Notice how the details speak of how intelligently the builder designed the vineyard. He digged it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, building a hedge and a watchtower. The vineyard, like all of God's creation, was created by a loving God as something good. But as we know from the early chapters of Genesis, we see again in the readings today that what God has created good has not remained in its state of perfection, but has fallen short of the glory of God. That sin entered into the world. Death followed. And like the grapes which were wild and sour, so too has humanity, who was created in the image and likeness of God, grown wild, fails to produce the rich harvest for which God willed it. God has given us such loving gifts, and we, both as a whole and individually, have failed to pr properly respond to his grace at times. We hear the prophet Isaiah proclaim to the men of Judah and to us, Judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. That is, we ought to consider the gifts he has given us. What return we have made with those gifts of the Lord. Today, we could hear God say to us, I gave you the most wondrous sign of my love, and you took the unborn infant's life. I gave you my sons and daughters to nurture and cherish, and you threw them away. I gave you the miracle of married love, and you twisted it to meet your own needs. I gave you the dignity of life, and you manipulated it to fulfill your own selfish desires. I gave you a mind to decode the mysteries of life, and you used it for destruction. I gave you the wisdom of the elderly to guide and inspire you, and you let them die alone. I gave you a heart of compassionate love, and you turned away from suffering. I gave you the power to think, to ponder good, Yet you turn to violence as the answer. I gave you a heart for love, and you sold it for senseless profit. I gave you my only begotten son, and you have killed him. God is dead, is what the philosopher Nietzsche famously penned. We have killed him, you and I. We are his murderers. Nietzsche's point was not that Jesus died on the cross, but that we have, by our rationalism, materialism, scientific humanism, the acceptance of other such philosophies of life, made those into a gospel in and of itself, gods unto themselves, disrespectful to the truth that God is our origin and our end. 
Nietzsche accepts such sad assessment willingly. He's proud of this new atheism. But nonetheless, is he right? Are we aware that we, as St. Paul writes, were bought for a price and belong to God? Or have we dethroned him from our lives, our families and countries, and now seek a perverted independence? And religion and Christianity have been thrown out of the culture that proclaims itself post-Christian. The words of the vineyard tenants resound. If not in the words, then in the deeds of our secularized society. Let us kill the air, and the inheritance will be ours. And how many today reject our country's Christian roots, or how the Catholic Church built and sustains our Western culture, our civilization? The secularized humanity wants to be the heir, wants to be the master. To each his own, the saying goes. And far be it from I to tell another what they have chosen. We may say, surely I have not killed God. Surely I am not the tenant in today's gospel. But let us honestly reflect for a moment. What fate have I prepared for Christ in my life? How am I responding to God's incomprehensible love for me? Have I too by chance, by chance, thrown him out of my house, my life? That is, have I forgotten or ignored Christ? In the gospel, the owner of the vineyard says, they will respect my son. Do we understand that the Father is about to send us His Son in the sacrament of His body and blood? Are we ready to accept Him with respect? The respect that the Father expects from us. In the 5th century, the gladiator competitions, a century after Christianity had been legalized, more, yeah, a century after the Christianity had been legalized, the gladiator competitions to death were still being held in the Colosseum in Rome and elsewhere throughout the empire for the amusement of the crowds. And so one day in Rome, a Christian hermit from the East named Telemachus jumped into the arena, threw himself between the fighting gladiators, attempting to separate the combatants. He urged them, stop in the name of Christ. But his efforts did nothing but earn him the scorn of the crowds, the abuse of the gladiators. But he persisted to cry out to them, to beg them, stop in the name of Christ, until one of them struck him with a sword, and he fell to the ground and died. In that moment, the thousands of spectators gathered there, who had been jeering him for interfering in their fun, became silent. And as the silence crowd saw Telemachus in that pool of blood, one by one, the arena emptied. It said that the emperor Honoronus put a stop to the gladiator combats. Never again was there state-sponsored death for amusement. St. Telemachus helped stop the gladiator fights in Rome. His death showed the people of Rome that life is worth something. 
He stood up, a Christian, to the culture of death and proclaimed the name of Christ. And God warns us that a wretched death awaits those who abuse the vineyard, reject truth, and kill the Son. That unless they repent, eternal death waits for those who reject the truth. Work to undermine the dignity of the person, the sanctity of marriage, the integrity of the family. Then unless they repent, eternal death awaits those who kill the son in the least of our brothers and sisters. The unborn child, the person with disabilities, the unproductive elderly, and the suffering. Eternal death awaits such evildoers that unless they repent, they are going to hell. But eternal life awaits those who embrace the gospel of life, seek to bring truth and life and beauty to the vineyard God has planted for us. We can think every lifetime has a few moments that become larger, more important as the years pass. And we see them more clearly in perspective. No husband forgets when he first met his wife. No mother ever forgets the birth of her first child. No priest ever forgets celebrating his first Mass. Now looking back, everything in life flows from these pivotal moments, these turning points. And how we live out their consequences defines who we become. And for good or for ill, the same is true for nations. We remember July 4th because it established a new order of human dignity and freedom. And we remember Roe v. Wade because it wounded and continues to undermine that human dignity and freedom our country was founded upon. Almost 50 years ago, the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand. And today we're living with the consequences. Today we can thank Roe v. Wade for killing 61 million babies, unborn children, tens of thousands of broken marriages, hundreds of thousands of emotionally damaged women and men, But those are just the obvious results. There's much more. Because we're becoming a nation that no longer remembers what is going on. That no longer remembers that words to explain why things like cloning, infanticide, physician-assisted suicide violate the sanctity of life. We've forgotten the language of right and wrong on exactly those issues that define what it means to be a human, to be made in the image and likeness of God. The nations are living organisms. If we poison the roots of the tree, we get bad fruit. In 1973, Roe v. Wade seemed to be about abortion. Well, now in 2020, we know it was really about the nature of the human person and the callousness and the inhumanity of the road decision have worked their way into every aspect of our public life. Just like a drop of ink changes every molecule in the glass of water. We are no longer the nation we once were. 
because of this bad court decision, we are now a different nation. And so the question we face today, what are we going to do about it? Because none of us as Christians have a license to give up on the world. And this November, we have an election. We do have something to do. We have to stand up as Christians. We have to stand up for life. To point out to our culture, life matters. Life has value. And vote for those who are going to promote life. Our job is to make disciples of all nations. And St. Paul tells us that the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even soul and spirit. That God speaks and creation begins on his word. In the first lines of the Bible, God says, let there be light, and there was light. In the New Testament, God speaks again, and his word became flesh and dwelt among us. These are more than just beautiful phrases. And when St. Paul says that the word of God is living and effective, he wants it to take root in our lives like a seed. Because we have that help uh, to help that seed grow. And we'll become, in our own way, in our own actions, part of Christ's body. An echo of God's Word made flesh. The Word of God gives light. It cuts away the darkness in our lives like a sword. It penetrates our hearts, separates what's true from what's false. It becomes flesh in the choices we make the people we touch throughout our witness. That's our mission to the world. That's why we're here today. That God wants to speak again, now through us, through our faith, through our courage. Let there be light, he means you. The light of his truth shining through our lives. And as long as it does, the world has hope. The world is not dark. The early Christians trusted in God despite generations of persecution. St. Telemachus trusted in God knowing he was throwing himself in harm's way to preserve life. They kept the faith despite the cost of their own suffering. Their confidence wasn't in vain. Because the law of God is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. It's why St. Paul urges us to hold fast to our faith. That the word of the Lord is trustworthy. If God can convert the heart of the Roman people thousands of years ago, he can convert the heart of our nation the heart of the Supreme Court. He can light the darkness in the American soil. But he wants to do it through us. That everything in life flows through these special moments. How we live out their consequences determines who we become. In our work for the unborn, 
for in our witness for the sanctity of life, in our worship at this Mass today, Jesus is saying to us, follow me. How could we not say yes when our answer decides everything? That on this Respect Life Sunday, we must pledge ourselves as faithful and loyal servants who will defend the sanctity of human life.